had some baptisms recently. We thought you guys would like to see uh, some video of that, so we're going to watch that right now. This is Kenna Ellison, and her dad, Brandon, there is baptizing her. by the lake or by the creek by Ozark. It's good stuff, huh? That's exciting. I do want to welcome everybody to Fur Road this morning. We're so glad you're here. Good to have a, a full house here. We're in three uh, week three of our series called The Best sermon ever. Uh, it's known as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And uh, week one, we talked about the Beatitudes, what it looks like to be fully part of the, the kingdom of God. Last week, we talked about being salt and light to the world. And, and I, I challenge you to be thinking and praying about if you're fully shining your lights for Christ. Hopefully, you've been thinking about this week. And then we talked about being great in the kingdom and how that can happen and how it can only happen through Jesus. And uh, so greatness comes through Jesus. Now we've talked about the, the fact that a huge part uh, of the book of Matthew is showing that Jesus was the Messiah that they'd been waiting for. He was the anointed one, and, and so um, he's the fulfillment of the law. So Matthew is, is kind of a bridge from the old to the new, and so um, that's a big part of it too. Today we're going to continue in the Sermon on the Mount for the next two weeks. We're going to look at, at six areas that Jesus seems to say, you know what, uh, your understanding of the law wasn't really correct, or at least wasn't complete. And, and, uh, and so he, he kind of seems to take these steps of the law farther, several steps further. And so, so these six areas that are addressed are traditionally known as the antitheses, and uh, an antithesis not an everyday word, right, that we use. It's defined as a contrast or opposition between two things. And so at first glance, it, it seems that Jesus is almost contrasting the, the original law that had been given to, um, by Moses to God um, through Moses. But that's not what he's doing. What I think Jesus is doing, and, and this is important, Jesus took the law and united the head and the heart. Okay? Jesus took the law and united the head and the heart. Jesus is saying that being part of the kingdom is much more than following a, a list of rules. It, it's about changing your heart. It's about 
making your heart match your actions. And so we're, we're going to cover the first three of these topics today and then the three next week. First topic is anger. Okay, nobody ever has to deal with that one, right? You got it all good? Should I just go on? We're, yeah, all of us do at times, don't we? Uh, the topic of anger reminds me of a golfer. He was having a tough time with his golf game one day, and his frustration became so much that on the 13th hole, he, he kept putting shot after shot in the pond uh, that was in between him and the, the green, and so he kept hitting him in there, and, and finally, in exasperation, he picked up his golf bag, spun around like a discus thrower, and threw it into the middle of the pond and walked off course. Moments later, he returned, uh, in complete embarrassment, he waded into the pond. It seemed like he'd come to his senses. He, he fished out the dripping bag, unzipped, unzipped a pocket on the side, got his keys out to his car, and then took it back again and threw it even farther into the water. <laughs> then he went home. Anger can make us do some pretty stupid things, can it? Um, I may have thrown a club or ten in my life as well. My, uh, when I first started golfing, I used my dad's clubs, and he claimed he didn't have any straight clubs left <laughs> in his bag after I was done using his clubs, but I cannot confirm or deny that in any way, but I'll just say that was a long time ago, <laughs> and, and I have matured a lot most of the time now, so golf can be a pretty stressful game. Um, Jesus is going to tell us here that anger towards others is, is a pretty big deal. Um, and so let's read about it. It's Matthew chapter 5, if you want to follow along. It's verse 21 through 26 is where we'll start. Matthew 5 through 26. That it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who his brother Raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be injured in hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get off until you have paid the last penny. Okay, so, starts by referencing the sixth commandment, right? Thou shall not, what? Murder. Okay, so the official commandment, it's pretty straightforward, right? Don't kill other people. Most of, us, most of us are pretty good with that one, right? Hey, you're like, hey, I, I've done that one. You probably wouldn't be here if you, if you had uh, not followed that one. Um, but Jesus cuts to the chase and gets right to the heart of the matter here, doesn't he? He says, you know, when you're angry with someone, when you say rocket to someone, which is about like calling them an empty-headed idiot is kind of what that means, when you call somebody a fool, uh, the word for fool here has kind of a moral connotation. You're basically saying they are morally degenerate. And there seems to be kind of a progression of terms here. But even if it's just different ways to say that you're angry, he says it's like committing murder with your mind. Ouch. You know, come on, Jesus. That, that, that's a big jump to take, isn't it? It's a little overboard. 
Well, it's not when you're uniting the heart and the mind together. When you're when you're um, putting these together and and uh, also yet kind of adding its cohort hate in there, it's a big deal, very big deal. And I feel like since we're talking about this topic, I briefly need to the things that have been taking place in our country over the last week um, with the protests in Charlottesville, Virginia, because I think they illustrate what anger and hate left unchecked can lead to. And I've, I've seen attempts to spin the events from all sides this week to make the other side look bad and, and, and justify things either way. And so let me just say this, first of all. As Christians, we're called to love. Okay, you guys know that. That's nothing new. The mission of our church is loving God, loving people. There's nothing earth-shattering about that statement. But what I haven't heard much about this and therefore, I, I, I want to remind everyone this morning is who the battle is really against. You see, the, the battle is not any against one group of people, one group against another group. It, it, it may appear that way on the service, but that is not who the true battle is against. Ephesians 6.12 reminds us who the struggle is against. And, and I think we need to keep this in mind as our country becomes more and more divided. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see who the battle's against here? The enemy here is Satan and his workers, and he loves to divide, and, and he's filled with hatred, and he wants our country to be filled with hatred and to be divided. And here's the thing, he's so good at what he's doing that he convinces people who call themselves Christians that they are spreading hate in the name of Jesus. That they're doing the right thing. And so listen to me, he may fool a lot of people, but he's not fooling God. And he shouldn't fool us. God knows what he's doing and we need to realize what Satan is doing here in our country. But here's the awesome thing. God has given us the tools to fight this battle. Okay, he didn't just throw us out there and say, you're on your own. The rest of Ephesians gives us all the, these tools that we need for this spiritual fight. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. Okay, Satan can't stop those things. If we don't use them, he can do whatever he wants, but he can't stop them. Paul gives us a great reminder of this spiritual battle in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That's, that's big, right? These weapons have power to demolish strongholds. And so I think we need to keep this in mind as there's all this stuff going on in our country, okay? Remember, this is what's really going on here. Keep in mind who the battle is truly against. And, and I think, though, as we watch the images on TV of, of the extreme hatred, it, it, it's not... Well, it, it's easy to, to look at these and say, you know, man, I, I'm glad I'm not like that. But... 
let's get back to what Jesus is talking about here. He's, he's saying just because you haven't murdered anyone doesn't mean you have a pure heart. And so let's bring this back home and realize we might need to demolish some strongholds in our own lives. We look at these instances and say, you know, that's terrible how the people could do this. But Jesus comes along and says, you know what? When you aren't dealing with the anger in your heart, you're just the, the same as the one who goes on a murdering spree. So every single one of us, I think, needs to look at ourselves in the mirror and ask God to help reveal, God, what, what anger is in my life that I'm not dealing with? What, what do I need to do? And, and, and will you help me to demolish this stronghold that's in my life? And if every Christian truly does, there would not be a Charlottesville, Virginia, ever. Amen? Okay. And then to illustrate how big of a deal this is, Jesus says, you know what? If you don't get under control, you will be in danger of the fires of hell. Okay, he's not messing around here. The word used for hell here is Gehenna. And literally, it was a reference to the Valley of Hinnom outside of Jerusalem. And it, it was a, a dump where they'd put all their trash and, and they put their animal carcasses. And it was just always burning. It always smelled. It was just terrible. It was like hell on earth. And it would have been a very graphic metaphor for the place of eternal torment. And then to take things a step further, Jesus says, this is so serious that if you... If if you uh, don't take care of this, before you leave your gift at the altar, stop. Leave it there and go. Go now. Okay, don't wait. It's that big of a deal. Well, why is this such a big deal? You know, it, as long as you keep your anger to yourself, you know, who are you hurting? But anger, it's a, it's a pretty amazing thing. It comes out in a lot of different ways, but eventually it comes out, doesn't it? You're upset about one thing, but you explode at this car that cuts you off in traffic. And you're like, where, where did that come from, right? You ever done that? Nobody gets mad at other cars, right? No, no not at all. I, yeah, I could tell on myself this week, but I'm not even going to tell you. It wasn't pretty, though, yeah. But, but yeah, I, I mean, where's that come from? There's this anger that's built up in us, and it comes out. You're, you're uh, upset with your spouse because they, uh, they hurt your feelings, but you don't say anything, and then later on there's a pair of underwear on the ground, and you, you yell at them and go crazy. But it's not really about the anger. It's about whatever they said to you earlier. And so we say, yeah, I got this anger thing under control, but, but we don't. It comes out in different ways. When I do premarital counseling, I always talk about communication and how important it is to talk through things because eventually it's going to come out okay one way or the other so just go ahead and deal with it now anger and bitterness and hatred they're, they're like cancer that grows and and you end up doing or saying things that you would not normally say so yes it does affect others even if you think it doesn't and so it, it is a big deal so first jesus says bring your head and your heart together on the issue of anger second topic is adultery let's read verse 27 through 30 you've heard it was said do not commit adultery but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart if your right eye causes you to sin gouge it out and throw it away it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell 
And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So this time Jesus starts with the seventh commandment. Uh, you shall not commit adultery. People thought, hey, I, I haven't physically cheated on my spouse, so it's all good, right? But the words of Jesus, they, they tend to get pretty intense, don't they? And here Jesus equates thinking with acting, and, and the implications are, are significant. You know, many people then and now think, you know, it's okay to think about something sinfully as long as they do not actually do anything physically. But Jesus is saying here we need to unify our actions and our hearts. They should be one and the same. And so here Jesus says that looking at a woman lustfully is the same as actually physically committing adultery with her. Now let me say this. I, I don't believe that attraction in and itself is sinful. Sin makes its entrance when there is action from the attraction. The sin comes from a, a lingering look or a, a, an indulgent fantasy or a suggestive phrase or a touch or a lot. So remember, God, he describes marriage as joining of two people into one flesh. The two become one. One life, one heart, one mind, and therefore mental uh, mental adultery is just as damaging as, as physical adultery because you're, you're hurting that bond. This has been an issue for thousands of years now, but I think the access to pornography has taken things to a new level in our culture today. Th these images are right at our fingertips, and, and they're so dangerous. So dangerous. In Colossians 2, 20 and 21, Paul, he reminds us of the dangers of the world when he says, Handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. Okay? Don't even go there. Don't tempt yourself. It's like touching a hot stove. It, it will burn you, right, if you touch it. You don't have to test it out. It will. Job, clear back in the Old Testament, has, has the perfect advice that has stood the test of time when it comes to sexual impurity. In Job 31.1, he said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. Man, that's good stuff. Now, guys tend to be more sight-oriented than ladies, but this applies to ladies too. Make that covenant with your eyes, which is like a promise that you're making not to look lustfully at a girl. Admire their beauty, thank God for their beauty, but do not look lustfully at the opposite sex. Several years ago, I heard somebody say, every girl is somebody's daughter. Do you want somebody looking at your daughter lustfully? And that, that hit home to me as a, a dad with a daughter. Man. We have to, to control our thought lives. And, and, and if you need to get accountability on this, get accountability. Have somebody that you give permission to ask you about your thought life and how are things going. And somebody that, that you can contact and say, will you pray for me right now? I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time. I have two guys who set up their computer so that it tracks all the websites that they go to, and it sends me a report once a week um, and, and tells me if they've gone to websites that they shouldn't have gone to. Guys, we need to be proactive about this. And Jesus uses some very serious language here to get our attention. He says, you know, if you need to gouge out your eye or cut off your hand, then do it. Okay, that's how serious this is. 
Now, d don't go do that this week, okay? That that's, that's hyperbole, okay? He's not saying, really, go cut your eye out or, you know, cut your hand off. But he's trying to unite our hands and our hearts when it comes to sexual purity. Okay? It's important stuff, guys. And then the third topic Jesus addresses here is divorce. Beginning in verse 31, it says, It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, this seems unfair to the woman at first glance, doesn't it? Why would something a man does cause the woman to commit adultery? Let me say first that the overall message here is that marriage is meant to last for a lifetime. Okay, that's the overall point. But context is important. In this little section on divorce, Jesus is referring back to a section on divorce in Deuteronomy 24. Verse 1, I'm just going to read part of verse 1. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, and then it goes to talk more about divorce. But the key subject here is that if she becomes displeasing to him. And so over the years, there were different interpretations about what this means. Okay, what's it mean for a wife to become displeasing? And one major school of thought came from Rabbi Hillel, and he basically said, if your wife displeases you in any way, you can give her a divorce. If she keeps burning your food and you're sick of it, you know, send her off. If you don't think she's pretty enough anymore, whatever. So any reason, you could send her off. Um, another rabbi named Shammai said that it was just talking about sexual unfaithfulness. Okay, much more conservative view, and that's all. And so that's kind of the background that Jesus is answering this question here. And Jesus says, no, divorce is not allowed for any reason at all. Okay, that's wrong. Okay, Hillel was wrong. Women are not property to to be discarded when you're tired of them. And so Jesus is actually elevating women in a, a male-dominated culture. And so Jesus is reinforcing what God already said in, in the book of Malachi. God said, I hate divorce. I hate it. Many of you have been through divorce. Okay, is it, is it the unforgivable sin? No, it's not. Okay, some of you variety of reasons some you're part of it some it's not your fault whatever whatever it is it, it's not the unforgivable sin he god has promised us promised us he, if we confess to him and justin will forgive us our sins okay so so that that's a separate topic here um, and actually matthew chapter 19 is a, a fuller passage on marriage and divorce and in in uh, 19 4 through 6 says this haven't you read he replied that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh therefore what God has joined together let no one separate okay we say that a lot of times at the end of a, a, a marriage um, ceremony see that's the gold standard there Okay, God brought man and woman together, so we shouldn't separate it, except under circumstances such as unfaithfulness. And even then, it's not required. 
And so did you notice how Jesus is elevating the status of women in this passage? He said God created both male and female. He doesn't say he created one above the other one. He didn't create women to be property. He created all of us in a unique and special way. We are all part of his amazing creation. And in this section on divorce, Jesus is saying it's not about finding ways to get out of your marriage. Okay, that's not what it's about. It's about elevating the status of marriage. In our country, so often we become too quick to say, you know, I'm not feeling it anymore. I think it's time to end it. I don't feel like I'm in love with them anymore. No, you've come together as one. God wants you to keep it together. Fight for your marriage. Do whatever you can to keep that God-ordained bond together. And I know some of you are are probably struggling right now. He's saying fight for Stay together. You can do it. Jesus is uniting the head in the heart. And so as I close, let me kind of restate this again. In in this section of six specific areas, the three that, that we're looking at today, three that we'll look at next week, Jesus is saying, okay, it's not just about outward actions. It's about uniting the head and the heart. It's about inward and outward working together so that we can fully experience the blessings of being part of the kingdom. And in turn, we can help further the kingdom. So let's all work on uniting our heads and our hearts. Pray with me. Father, I, I know I've been guilty many times in my life at, at just uh, trying to look good on the outside. On the inside, things aren't the way they should be. And I have a feeling that, that most people hear that same way. And so uh, I pray that every one of us, whatever it is, that specific area that we're struggling with, that's not the way it should be, and inside it's just like eating us up maybe. I pray that we can just give that over to you. And that we can truly begin to unite our actions on the outside with what's going on on the inside with our hearts. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.